Welcome to the Beaver Legends series with Tim Barnum. So welcome to uh, Beaver Legends Live for this special edition uh, from Beaver Congress 2021. And it gives my great pleasure to introduce to us uh, Professor Derek Nottenbelt, uh, that I'm sure needs very little introduction uh, for this special edition of the Beaver Legends podcast. So welcome, Professor Nottenbelt. Uh, so my first question to you is how does a young boy born in South Africa decide he wants to be a vet and why in particular horses? Well, th th both of them are accidental, actually. Uh, I, I, was I was determined to be a farmer. I was going to be an African farmer and, uh, and that meant dealing with cattle and wild animals and all these kind of things. And from a family where we lived just in the countryside of Africa where you know, we'd, we were, I was a very naughty boy setting fires to the undergrowth and all sorts of things in making campfires and things. And, uh, and, but ultimately, I, I suddenly found myself with some sort of animal empathy. So, but that was focusing my attention on becoming a farmer. Then uh, I went to school and it, this idea of being a vet seemed to be better than just being a farmer. I, where every time I saw the vet, they seemed to be nice guys. You know, I remember Tony Brown and, you know, uh, 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 Condi, James Condi, who was a wildlife vet in, in Africa. And I saw these guys during my school years and, and I just thought, these are amazing people and maybe I can do that. And then they said, well, where are you going to do it? And I said, well, I'm going to apply to Edinburgh. And they said, oh, you haven't got a hope. You haven't got a hope, you'll never get in, You've got, you're going to get mediocre A-levels. But I said, well, if I don't get in, then I'll just drop back to my base level and I will go. Fortunately, Edinburgh accepted me. That was the first thing. And then, having got in, I had to make this massive change from Africa, never having left Africa, never having flown in an aeroplane, to get in the plane that was, was then Salisbury, what now is Harare, and fly to Edinburgh via Heathrow. 90 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, which is 35 degrees Celsius, leaving Zimbabwe. Temperatures never seen in Edinburgh. Absolutely. And arriving in Edinburgh in a grey east coast har with drizzle and smoke and dark buildings. And, and I thought, what the hell is this all about? I had very little warm clothing or anything to go into a tenement in Hope Park Terrace and I climbed the stairs in Hope Park Terrace behind the lady who brought me from the airport up to the very top got to the top the flat fantastic little lady and her husband invited me in gave me a room I could look out of the building and straight into biochemistry at the dick straight out like that and look and I knew I had to be at the, the front of the dick the next morning to register. And the next morning I walked down the stairs and instead of turning right, I turned left because there was no sun, there was no nothing. I was totally unnavigable and I turned left 
and I walked and I walked and I walked all the way up until I came more or less to the bottom of Arthur's seat. Blimey, that's quite a way. <laughs> absolutely. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I saw where I had to go and now I'd be walking all this time. And I was completely lost. And then suddenly I thought, I've got 10 minutes to make it back. So I legged it back as hard as I could, asking everyone, where's the dick, where's the dick, where's the dick? And then got in. Having got into the dick, I, I was in immensely privileged to be mentored by individual people who had amazing skill in teaching. You know, they, they, would, they would teach us proper things, Pat Hutton and Johnny Taylor, who taught us anatomy, you know, with the, with the dissection of a horse and how it started to get really, really exciting for me. I, I still had no idea I wanted to equine uh, practice at all, but I knew this was my career. I had mentors, Kenny Head in pathology and Alan Rowlands in pathology, and then uh, uh, Professor uh, Body and, J and Jimmy Spruill in the surgery department, and they mentored me. They seemed to take me under their wing, and somehow they made a vet out of me. And, but when I qualified, I felt terrible. I, I was bad vet. I went out, newly qualified, back with my wife and baby by then to Africa again to what so was you, the, you went straight back, went straight back because we were we were bonded and during all this of course Ian Smith had declared UDI so I didn't have any money all my money dried up so I had to work illicitly uh, assembling motorbikes in a in an in a underground tenement building for for a for a motorbike dealer and they would give me two and sixpence for a 50 cc motorbike when you're in Edinburgh, yeah you're yeah right. and I had to see myself through through my university really but I was bonded to the government so I had to go back then I went into 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 uh, wildlife research so I was in wildlife research for the first three years and uh, and I loved that and that gave me a, a, an amazing feeling of being you know a real proper vet in 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 that kind of way and then gradually uh, the war was on in Zimbabwe and or Odisha as it was then and and I had two children by then and we thought we can't stay. So then I. So you were in Zimbabwe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then and then we, we packed up and went back and I got a job, in in Stratford upon Avon, and uh, where which was a very mixed practice. I was going to ask what time. Yeah, this was a mixed practice and then and when when that started to go, I I started to bias myself towards horses. I just I don't know. I just liked the idea of the challenge of the horse. Um, and, uh, and it seemed to me to be a nice uh, a contradiction, really, from small animals because you were outside and from farm animals because there was a commercial value and, and emotion involved in it. So uh, that's a two-edged sword, of course, as we know, you know, where you mix money and emotion. It's a, a bit of an unholy mix, but it seemed quite attractive to me. So gradually, gradually, I started to do more and more horsework. And so that's how I got into horses in the first place. Okay. And so where did you head from Salisbury then? Were you, yeah. So you obviously got a passion for equine veterinary work. Yeah. And then what happened yeah. to Salisbury? 
Well, well, uh, it was it was just a matter of uh, we we were fight we were fighting the war, you know, in Zimbabwe, what was then Rhodesia, and we and um, uh, we had to come out because it was a really unpleasant thing, and of course everybody had to do military service and all this kind of thing, and then you had to be shot at, you know, and that's not good, and then you had to shoot people, and that's even worse, and and so uh, I have a sort of funny sort of mantra about this. I come from a very pacifist family, really, I suppose, where it's best to be a coward for one day than a dead man all your life and it's a good motto <laughs> yeah definitely definitely so and then you know when i came back here you know i was mentored by uh, uh, brian needham uh who is an old uh, uh, an older practitioner than me and he took me under his wing and taught me a lot about horsework mm -hmm. so then gradually i got more and more horsework and then when i went back when i packed up in practice I went back to Zimbabwe and then Barry Edwards came out to Zimbabwe. I met him yeah. and then he said, would you like to come to Liverpool? Right. And I said, yes, I would. Because this was Barry Edwards. Yeah, well, yeah, yes. Well, I would imagine we'll be coming back to Barry <laughs> with a few more questions later. But So what, you obviously went to Liverpool to work at Lehigh yeah. with Barry yeah. and the team at Liverpool. Yeah. And obviously you developed into one of the world's most famous equine medics. How did medicine, so what, what was the attraction to medicine and, and yeah. how did it happen? Uh, medicine, I believe is, you know, they say surgeons do everything but know nothing. Physicians. Well, I'm, a, I'm a surgeon. Yeah, so. well, I, you'll, you'll empathize then. I'm fully aware of that. <laughs> and the physicians know everything but do nothing. It seemed a much more attractive option to me. Uh, because at one point I thought I would prefer to do pathology because they seem to know everything and they do everything, but they're 24 hours too late. Yes. So, so, uh, so medicine just seemed to me to be a good academic challenge, you know, uh, uh, because I just view medicine as being the foundation of it all. It's, a, it's kind of a poor relation, I suppose, of the specialities, but actually without medicine, you can't do surgery and you can't do orthopedics you can't do anything because the basic of it of course always that underlying clinical examination is the lameness a muscular problem or is it a skeletal problem that's the first thing or is it the weight loss is that a dental problem or an intestinal problem you know so I think medicine I, I, I think medicine gives a really good balanced approach to it there's emergencies uh, work of course you know you think of you know the guttural pouch mycosis cases you know yeah. and the colic horses that require co support and the neonatal foals and so on which offer immense opportunities for uh, practical excellence you know for, for really detailed excellence and I'm a, I'm a great believer in doing less to a higher degree I, 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 I believe that my role as a teacher and my role as a clinician was always to try to be as near the Rolls-Royce vet as I could possibly get. Yeah. Notwithstanding, I made countless mistakes in my life and I, I'm not proud of those, of course I'm not. But they weren't made out of malice or anything or in, I think probably not gross incompetence, even if it was sometimes you know, that I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. But uh, the important point is making a mistake in life is not a crime is part of life's experience and you just don't want to make the same mistake twice mm, I've done that a few times uh, as well yeah absolutely 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 brilliant and I suppose 
probably getting a sense of at least one name that you're going, going to mention, but obviously be the Legends podcast. And there's obviously some legends in your career and people that you would look at mm. as the legends. Yeah. And I think I would be right in choosing Barry Edwards as one of those legends. So tell me about the impact of Barry and obviously yeah. he brought you, not brought you from Zimbabwe, yeah. but mm. he encouraged yeah. you to come. Yeah. But that was yeah. a formidable yeah. team. Oh, no, it, 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 you know, it was, it, it was, it was a, actually an amazing coincidence, really, because I'd sent all, when I was working in Stratford-on-Avon, all my colic cases would go to Barry. Mm. You know, uh, I didn't want to be up at night. Mm. I, I didn't see any reason to stay up at night and see the colic case twice. So every, in those days, we only had Ace Promazine and, and Buscapan. That's all we had. We didn't have anything else. So I, I, would, I, I would give it a shot of Buscapan if a horse had colic. I, I mean, I didn't know very much else to do uh, in those days. And if it didn't work, I'd say to the owner, here's a wagon. Go to London. Go to London. There's a guy there. London, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so I sent all the colics off to London. They would ply their way down... The, the old A40 and all the way into London before the M40 was even built. And, and they would go back and forth and back and forth. And of course, in, on, the, on the premise that, you know, a long ride in a short lorry or a short ride in a long lorry gets colleagues right. They would usually be right by the time they got there. And if not, well, then he was in the right place. And actually, the, the kindness that Barry gave me over all those, it kind of chokes me up, actually, to be honest. He was just so kind. You know, there was not an angry word, not a, you God, what a stupid, incompetent thing. Why did you send this horse when it had a pelvic flexure impaction? You know? And, and he was just such a supportive person, and, he, and I, I came to know him quite well, actually, and we developed quite a friendship, even though he was a few years, my, he was, well, a fair number of years senior to me. And, uh, and, but I, I just felt he was just somebody who I wanted to be. Yeah. I, I wanted to be like him I, in medicine. Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't, in fact, he, he hated medicine things. Right? You know, had no sense of smell. He, he didn't mind, you know, there's horses with a terrible smell from their mouths coming out. He would just sit there and he would chop away and do everything was necessary. Didn't have a sense of smell. Everybody else, you know, like this, and, yeah. but you know, oh, and so over the years, I'd known him more and more, and that was why I invited him when I was in Zimbabwe. I invited him for a CPD course to come and give it with Christine Gibbs, who was yeah. another of my amazing mentors. Right. You know, Christine Gibbs from Bristol. She was. We'll come back to Christine. Yeah. Then. Well, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and you know, these kind of people, uh, and John Webster came out. Right. You know, we had them sequentially. And, and then Barry arrived and he said, oh, you know, he's now at Liverpool. He's moved from London to Liverpool. Uh, did I want to go to Liverpool? Yeah. You know? And then... You I, weren't going to say no. I, I wasn't going to say no, but of course I still had to be interviewed. Right. And the interviewer was the formidable Ron Jones. Right, okay, okay. And I knew that if I didn't, if I didn't impress Ron Jones, who was then Dean that there would be no possibility. And then I would have up sticks and come yeah. for no reason, yeah, yeah. you know? So I was really nervous of this, but uh, I was interviewed by Barry and Ron Jones and uh, Michael Clarkson, uh, sundry other people. Uh, and uh, they offered me 
the job as a junior lecturer. And I was, of course, already, I was some years down the track, and so I was quite old for, to become a junior lecturer, but I was thrilled. Yep. I, I wasn't interested, I'm, I've never been interested in the money side of things. I just love the job, you know, I love doing it, and I, I just feel so frustrated now that, that, you know, I'm old and my body doesn't work properly, my hands shake, and when I'm doing eye surgery, you know, it looks under the, under the loop like I'm doing this with the suture material. And uh, so, you know, it's the frustrations of old age, I suppose, and the feeling that I could have done better even then if, I, if I'd worked harder at it. But we did work hard hmm. and we converted Liverpool from a rather broken down equine facility to what, uh, in some way, to what it is now, just yeah, by sure. creating a foundation for the wonderful people who are there now, who were there when I was there. You know, yeah. Fernando Malalana, all these kind of people who've, Kathy McGowan, all came in under my, mm. under whilst I was there. Yeah. And, and look where they are, you know, look at the place and look yeah, what yeah. it's developed into. And that's something of a legacy that we leave behind. Not that somebody, your name is on something or not, it doesn't matter. But the fact that people that you taught in some way or another that had an influence on or discussed things with or joined with or your professional colleagues have taken over the reins and are now driving yeah. this faster, better, higher, longer, better. Yeah, I think, I think the term is standing on the shoulder of giants. Isn't yeah, it, yeah, I think, I, think, I think, yeah. I think Fernando. Yeah. So yeah. Fernando quite well, you could definitely say that. Yeah. You know, so, so the other legend, you mentioned a couple there. Tell me about, about the other people who were really, in addition to Barry, very instrumental in your career, mm. helped you, inspired yeah. you, those yeah. kind of people. I think there have been individuals who've done that in individual areas, you know. So, so there was St uh, Steve May, yeah, who was uh, an amazing colleague for me when he came in just after me to Liverpool. Yeah. And so he came in and then Chris Riggs. Yeah. So, you know, these are the people who've come into Liverpool, left inspiration both for me and for the place, and then gone off and done amazing things in their own way. And, you know, if you look at those people who've gone in there and moved away from there in, into higher jobs elsewhere, the, the, how well they've done, of course, you know, they're amazing people in their own right but they've been inspirational to me and, and actually are amazing friends, colleagues, companions, uh, solace, you know, when things go wrong, yeah, um, all these kind of things, which it enables you to do that. But then in other fields, Don Kelly in pathology, you know, he, he always taught me Tony Stannard from, from Davis in California. You know, he, he, he was just the most amazing person he was a dermatohistopathologist. And, and he said, you know, the difference between a good clinician is a pathologist, mind. Yeah, yeah. Goodness between a, the difference between a good, path, a good clinician, a, an outstanding clinician, and an ordinary one is how they treat or how they manage the difficult, challenging case. Yeah. Not the ordinary case, which everybody can do, that's fine. But, and and he, he gave me principles of investigation and that's why really why I got sort of stuck into on oncology yeah all because of Tony Stannard you know because I went to a course for him in Cambridge of course he 
went and died on the way home on a, for a DVT on the airplane. But it was a tragic thing. But at that course, you know, he told me that if you know the cells and structures that make up an organ, you know the primary tumors that can occur there. It's just a one sentence. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly, it's a light bulb, it's a light bulb moment where you suddenly think, crikey, you know, that's amazing because now I understand what tumors can occur in what organs. So these are the, the little keys that people give you, you know, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the meticulous detail of Barry, you know, the pathology um, relevance from yeah. Don Kelly and Alan Rowlands at Edinburgh before that yeah. and Kenny Head before that, you know, and the anatomy that I, that I learned from my earliest years. Mm. If you don't know your anatomy, you, 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 can't, you, you can't be a vet. No. You can't. And, and you should pack up immediately because you're dangerous. Yeah. You know, I don't want my surgeon to, to have, get his textbook out and look where my aorta is. You know, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want to say, what's this blood vessel here? Oh, whoops, it's the aorta. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I want them to know. And, you know, all this kind of carry on that goes in to the background of how we become uh, excellent at our jobs, you know. And if every single solitary day of your life, you, I, and I learned this from Kenny Head mm. in Edinburgh. He was a pathologist. Yeah. And, and, and he said, you know, every single day of your life, you should say, have I achieved something new today? And if not, you say, I have to achieve two times that tomorrow. That's a good month. So that on average, you improve every single day of your life. And, and so that's what I do. And every day, I still do it. I'm driving or sitting in, even at home, yeah. having a glass of beer in the evening on the, on the, on the, on the veranda, you know? Mm. And I, I think, you know, I, I ask myself, how did today go? You know, and, and I say to myself, oh, well, he didn't do hellish well today, you know. I say, okay, that's fine, I'll do better tomorrow. Double better tomorrow. Double, double better tomorrow. And, uh, and, you know, I think if we do that in our lives, I think our professional lives become happier. Yeah. Um, there are downsides. You know, there, there have been big downsides for me in my professional life and otherwise. Uh, and those have been hard to take yeah. because trying to be positive all the time and being all things to all people at all times. Yeah, and, and, and in a teaching institution as well. That's, yeah, I'd imagine yeah that's it, 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 it's, it's even harder. But, you know, the, the, the idea that we are influencing young people and you have the choice of influencing them in a positive way or, uh, I suppose, in the modern world, influencing them in a positive way is one thing, but having no influence on them is the sort of bottom line. I, I don't say that we harm them because we don't harm them, but, but it, unless you influence our young people positively, they won't be positive yeah. later on. They'll be, they'll be negative. And, and if they're negative, then you have to ask, is it the student's fault or is it the teacher's fault? And I'm sorry to say it, but it's the teacher's fault. We hear a lot about it in in the university system at the moment, you know, the kids aren't properly prepared and they aren't this and they aren't that. These kids are amazing. Mm. They're just phenomenal people, like you, yourself. I mean, you're, 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 young, you're a young guy. And, and Slightly great. Yeah, well, okay, we, all, we all get a little <laughs> bit of that, you know, it doesn't matter. But, but, you know, all you young guys are 
amazing. You have all the potential to achieve anything that you want. And if you don't do it, it's not only your fault, but it's the fault of those people around you who are not mentoring you, not lifting you, not pushing you forward. Think of Joe Mayhew. You know, mm. Joe, Joe's a legend for me, absolute legend. He taught me neurology in a month, you know, at least enough in a concentrated month to become aware of what how complex this was. Yeah. But he simplified the whole process down for me. He, he simplified it all the way down the track, you know? Mm. And, and ultimately, you know, I, I look at people, Bruce McGoran, Scott Perry, you know, uh, Kathy McGowan, even Debbie, D Debbie Archer, who was a resident with me. She's yeah, inspirational yeah. to me now, yeah. you know? And these are people who continue to, to inspire not only themselves and the people behind them and the people around them, but the people with whom they were in contact previously, like yeah. me. Uh, I, I just look at them and I just, I, I'm just so proud of them. Well, I've I've uh, I've been taught by a, a number of the people you've just met, mm. and I can say it's mm. exactly the same. Following on from that, the, the, exactly what you just said there, uh, question I ask everybody is, what would you do differently in your career? What would you change, good or bad? Yeah. When I I I, uh, I mean I I made a I made a bad mistake when I was in practice. I'm not proud of it. Uh, but it was because I forgot who my family was. I thought earning money was the answer. I'm, I'm sorry, it chokes me up. Yeah, no, no, just take your time. But, but I, I forgot that money doesn't really matter. But I woke up one Sunday morning and there were three ladies in my bed. One was my wife. I didn't even recognize her. I didn't know who she was. And the other two were my two daughters. And I didn't even know who they were. I didn't have time to go to the school to watch the sports day. I didn't have time to go and listen to them singing in the school choir to play their netball match. I didn't have, a, I didn't have time. All right, I earned a lot of money. I, I mean, I earned money, I, I, I did. I was, I was very successful in my work. I just didn't have the quality or, or the guts, I suppose, to see through this and realize that there were other sides to this and the need for quality time with your family, you know, to say to your kids and your wife that you love them. Yeah. Instead of saying, here's another $10 note, you know. And I'm uh, off back to work. And, and I'm off back to work and meantime, you can spend this how you like and you can buy another fancy car or you can do this or that. You know, because actually, in the end, it's the quality of our lives that matters. And we, over the years, we've been driven by the profession and by our clients. I'm, I'm afraid to say that, but we are a victim of our own success because we've been all things to all people at all times. You know, a client can phone you up at two o'clock in the morning and we pick up the phone. We don't say, go away, you know, I'm off duty, go away, you know, don't phone me. You know, Ray Williamson shot himself because his clients were at him morning, noon and night. You know, and I think of the, the devastation that that left with his family. Yeah. 
but the depression that he must have felt inside. When I spoke to him a week before that, he was just himself. But what was the turmoil going on inside him? And that's simply because he was being driven by his practice and by the, by the, the ever-increasing demand of a fierce profession you know, trying to fight your corner against all the opposition of all the practices on the premise that if I don't go and see Mr. Jones's horse at two o'clock in the morning, oh, oh old, old Sam Smith up the road, MRCVS will go and do it and I'll lose the client. Yeah. And I don't want to lose the client. You know, if we behaved in ourselves, we heard the plenary lecture at this thing, mm -hmm. you know, united, united, we, we, we rise, you know, but disunited, we fail, you know, and, and if we start each one pulling in different directions, we land up in this competitive spirit where we, do, we, we, we want that man's money at all costs. And actually, the people who pay the price of this, unfortunately, are the young people of today, the young members of the profession. It, frankly, it doesn't matter if I kick the bucket. It, it, it doesn't matter. My career is done. My family is done. Uh, I, I, I don't want to go because I love my wife and family very dearly. But we'd all like you around a yeah, bit longer. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I hope to be around a little bit longer. But 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 the, the long the long and the short of it is ultimately that this profession has to be more sympathetic because unless we get. Uh, an inherent sympathy built in and a tolerance of the change of practice and we've heard at this conference and in previous speeches that that you know is the profession changing are we going to have to embrace this change the demographic change the 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 work ethic change all these kind of things i don't want to jump from you know the the, the frank frying pan into the fire yeah. you know there has to be a way of sitting on the rim yeah, you know yeah, and yeah. just having a hot bum if you like because no job is ever very good you know put one put the frying pan on one cheek of your bum and you mm. and and you and the and the fire on the other side that's fine but at least the, the practice will have a balance that is tolerant for young people i see young amazing young people coming through and they just when they qualified they don't want to do the job yeah and to me that's inconceivable yeah. it's inconceivable that this is the case and it's it's not them no. it's not them it's us it's the it's the mentors and the system that we have got into in some way or another by i think by default because things have just slipped you know mm. the, the, the 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 profession has slipped back so uh, yeah i've made i've made a l an answer <laughs> that was a long answer to your question no it was a good I, one and I've, pertinent I've, for this well, year's congress well, I mean, we've I've, discussed I've, this I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and 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 i would prefer not to have made them mm. I, I would prefer not to have made them but uh, and i you know i i remember right originally going out to see a, a cow that had died in the field mm. and uh, and she'd thrashed around in the field and you could see where she'd thrashed everywhere and mm and she died and i called the nakaman and said it's hypermagnesemia of course when the nakaman took it away it was anthrax and so it could have been worse uh, yeah it could have been maybe, uh, maybe <laughs> at the time at the time i was suicidal yeah. actually yeah, but i thought to myself this is uh, this is hideous this is a hideous and keith meldrum came to see me now he was our regional vet me off divisional vet me officer in those days 
now Keith Meldrum. Everybody yeah, knows yeah. Keith. And he came to see me, and he sat in my surgery in Stratford-on-Avon, and he gave me a, a few words. A few words. Let me put it like that. He gave me one hell of a few words. And at the end of it, he said, the matter is now closed. He said, don't make the same mistake twice. And since then, he's been a fantastic mentor and friend to me. And you and haven't diagnosed another anthrax case. And I haven't, I've fortunately, I've never seen another <laughs> anthrax case, to my knowledge. Anyway. <laughs> I've seen anthrax in horses, which is quite different. But, but, but these, these kind of people, uh, it's the way in which you can kill somebody off or the way in which you can encourage them to develop yeah. in the profession after a mistake. Yeah, Mistakes are part of life's learning experiences. We're not machines. We make mistakes. Some mistakes are unforgivable. I know that. Yeah. And I spoke at the RCVS uh, a day a couple of three years ago with Steve May was, was the president. And, and I said, you know, mistakes are an inevitable part of every single one of our lives. You know, you can make a mistake in your life. You can marry the wrong person. You can buy the wrong car. You can have the wrong holiday. You can, you know, take on the wrong assistant. You can, you know, all the mistakes yeah, yeah, that we can make. But can you make something of them? Can you learn by it and say, mm, yeah, I don't want to marry that kind of person again or <laughs> uh, I, 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 I want to be better next time. Yeah. But you have to also ask yourself why the mistake was made yourself yeah. and see if there were decisions that you took that were wrong, you know, that, were, that, that led you to making a mistake because usually a mistake leads to a second mistake, leads to a third mistake and so you tumble down a staircase till you come to the bottom with a big splash. And then it's painful. And then it's painful, you see. So if you can stop your mistakes at an early stage, admit them straight up front. Yeah. You know, if you operate on something and you make a mistake, you know, you cut the aorta instead of the epiploic foramen or whatever it is that colic yeah. surgeons get up to these days. Uh, you know. Hopefully not that. Hopefully not that. <laughs> hopefully not that. But if you make a mistake, is it a, is it a understandable mistake or is it a negligent mistake? The negligent mistakes, that's more difficult. This episode of BeaverPod was produced by Beaver. For more details on the benefits of your Beaver membership and the products and services offered, please go to our website at www.beaver.org.uk.